Hey guys, good morning. Good morning to you. I hope that you're doing well. I'm in a whole new environment here in our upper youth room. We have a youth room out back that I did some recording out back before, before I was in the auditorium a little bit. This year, I think I'm gonna go with um, this quieter setting. Uh, this is our upper room, youth room, that we uh, do our Wednesday night Bible study in and stuff like that. Uh, so welcome, welcome to the crib right here uh, in the, at Burlington Christian Church and our upper room. This is why we're here. We're going to dig into the Word of God, and uh, we're going to we're going to continue our series here in just a minute. I want to just let you know about a few things. We are loving our city. I hope you are wherever you are, figuring out ways to go out and share Jesus with your with your neighbors and your friends. On Wednesday nights, we are studying through the Book of Acts. That's something that we are doing uh, on a uh, regular basis every week. We kicked it off this week, this past Wednesday, and we'll continue that and do that. Our teenagers are up in this room. We are going through the book of Mark uh, with Francis Chan, and uh, that's, that's going to be a really cool study. We offer free pancakes on the fourth Saturday of every month, beginning in January. So on the 27th, come on out. Pancakes, sausage, free We'll serve you. Our teenagers do this. Um, we got an adult movie night coming up. We're reaching for more in 2024. And I hope that you are like determined. I hope you're determined like I am to say, God, I want to do more. I want to do more. Less of me, less of the world, more of you in, in 2024. And so um, this is where we are. This is the, the, the title of our series. Uh, as we get rolling into this year, we're going to spend uh, probably six, maybe eight weeks on this issue of faith because it's a new year and it's time to um, either come into the faith, to jump into the faith with Jesus, or it's time to increase our faith and trust in what God can do with us and uh, want to see God. We want to see God do something big. I hope you want to see God do something big. Well, in, for, in order for God to do something big in you and through you, it's going to require you going bigger with God, going all in with God, all of it. Just give him everything. Let him do something incredible with you. And so this is where we are. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Just think about that. Your faith has saved you. There is something very special about God giving you and me free will. There's something unique about it. There's something special about it. Free will, freedom, choice, that God, that God loves us so much that he would give us the option to love him or not. He provides salvation. He provides restoration. He provides deliverance of our sin. And then what he does is he invites you and me into this gift of grace and mercy. He does not force us. He lets you and I choose to love him. His gift of grace is free and his gift of grace is complete. Wow, what a great God he is. Isn't he? What a mighty, mighty God. 
He could, he could zap us and make us do whatever he wants. Instead, he chooses to let us choose him or not. What a mighty God, what a graceful God, what a good God he is. And so we, um, we're in Hebrews 11, and we read this verse last week, and I want to go a little further into Hebrews 11 this week. And then we're going to close with another uh, passage of Scripture in the book of Luke about an event that happens that is so, so very cool, and the faith that was displayed in, in that person. But Hebrews 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And now we touched on this last week, right? Faith. Faith. Faith is this word pistis in the Greek. It's the word pistis. It means belief. It means trust. And it means reliance. That's what this word means. And here, the writer of Hebrews says, confidence and assurance. Confidence and assurance. That we would have confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we don't see. The things that are unseen in the world, the spiritual, the invisible, the forces behind the physical. See, what, what the writer is saying is faith True faith in God is absolute certainty in God and his ability to do anything that he wants. It's having a trust in God that you would lay your life down for. This complete assurance, absolute certainty. This is God, and he already knows the end of the story, right, our God? He knows the end of the story. And in a way, he puts, he puts it on rewind, and then he hits play, play again. And now we are living, in a way, we are living in time, but God already knows the story. He already knows the end of the story. It has already been written. You and I don't know it. We are trusting God in it. We are following him in it. And along the way, he makes decisions and he makes choices that that are based on us and our participation with him and our faith in him pistis this word pistis there's some debate if this verse if this verse is like the definition of faith or if this verse is what faith does is this the definition of faith or is this what faith does to which i say and we all say yes it's both. It's both. It is both the definition of what faith is and it is what faith should look like as we live out each day. Now, I know uh, you guys don't gamble, right? Nobody gambles here. We, uh, we, do, um, we, we tithe to God. That's what we do. We give our top 10th money. We give it to God. We say, God, we love you. We trust you. Here's the top of the crop. You get the first 10%. We, we tithe to God. So, so we don't gamble our money away, right? No, nobody does that. Nobody does that. But this, this idea of faith, this is, this, is, this is like this. I have a royal flush in my hand. Ace high. And I am going all in. All my chips are out there on the table. 
I am putting myself on the table, my car on the table, my kids on the table, my grandkids on the table, my everything I am, everything I have, everything that's about me is on the table. I am going all in with God because the hand that God has dealt me and what I know about him is so certain that I cannot lose. I cannot lose. I am already a winner in him and I'm going all in with him. Verse two, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. This faith, this, this assurance, this confidence, they were commended. And now the ancients are those early church fathers, right? The people that we read about back in the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and so many others, Old Testament greats that God called to do great and wonderful things. And they answered the call of God. And by their faith, they went all in. And by their actions, they said, God, we trust you more than anything. We even trust you more than ourselves. And we're going to bank on you. We're all in with you, God. Now, look, he gives us a couple of examples. Verse 3. First thing he says is just look at the creation. He says, by faith, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible and so that everything that we see was made out of things that were unseen namely God God well you and I we weren't there right we weren't there when God uh, formed the earth and created the earth we were not eyewitnesses of this nobody was an eyewitness of this. But here's the thing. When you go to the ocean and you look out at the ocean, you see the hand of God. When you go to the mountains and you look out over the mountains, you see the hand of God. When you look up into the stars on a, on a dark night and you see the stars, you are seeing the mighty hand of God. And when we look at the order in the world and we look at how people are made and how our eyeball works and how our nervous system works and how our heart beats and how we are put together, we are looking at the creative hand of God. And it's not a huge leap to understand that there is a creator because there is such order and there is such intention. And we realize that the watch, that the watch demands a watchmaker didn't just happen. It didn't just like create itself from space dust. That is absurd. It's delusional to even think that that would be even possible. And so by faith, we understand that the universe was formed by faith, this assurance, this confidence, we see it, we know it, we didn't have to be there. We trust God, we trust him, we trust him. And then he says, check this out. He says, by faith, Abel, look at this. By faith, Abel brought God. Now these are people showing great faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. And by faith, Enoch, Enoch, 
Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could, be, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Faith pleased God. So important that we understand that, that our faith is so connected to God and our relationship with God. Verse 6 says this in Hebrews 11, if you're still there. I hope you're there in your Bible. It says this, and without faith, without faith, without having this faith, this assurance, this confidence, this all-in attitude with God. That God, you are great. You can do anything, and I'm all in with you. I'm just trusting you and relying on you completely, God. Without that, without that faith, it is, look what he says, it is impossible to please God. You can't do it. Because anybody, whoever comes to him, must believe that he exists. That he is the creator of all things. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Who gets rewarded? Those who earnestly seek him. So last week we, we talked about the fact that faith is personal. Faith is personal. It's very personal. It's about me and Jesus. It's about me putting my trust. My parents can't do it for me. My wife can't do it for me. My friends, my brothers, they can't do it for me. I must put my faith and trust in Jesus. It is personal. It must come from us, out of my heart, out of my mind, out of my will. For that one leper, the one, one with leprosy last week, it was very personal. To the nine, it was not personal. They loved what happened to them. They loved the gift that Jesus gave to them, the healing of their bodies. But this one, he loved the one who performed the miracle. He loved the giver of the miracle. And this is what set him apart from the other nine. And maybe, maybe today, you know, maybe that's the shift that you need to make today. Is that don't be like the nine who just love what God has done for me. Let's be like the one who loved the God who is God and creator of all things and loves us. Let's love the creator, not the creation. Today, as we dig faith, faith must be 100%. Faith must be 100%. It demands all of me. Last week, faith is personal. This week, faith demands all of me. There can be no holding back, right? We can't hold back on this. Every ounce of me must be given. Every ounce of me must surrender to Jesus. I cannot hold anything back and say I am living by faith. Without faith, he says, it is impossible. It is impossible. There is absolutely no way that you can please God without faith. Complete faith in Jesus. Our best option for you and me, our best posture 
for you and me is to earnestly seek him, to earnestly seek God, like go after God, pursue God. For those of you that are sportsters, leave everything on the field and go chasing, go running after God, no matter what it takes, whatever personal cost, go dive all in. Go all in with him. Everything in you. Give it to God. Because, because when it comes to faith, it has got to be personal. It can only be, it can only come from you. Nobody else can do it for you. And secondly, today, it, you have to go all in. He wants 100%, not 99, not, not 70. He wants 100. He wants it all. So we're in Luke chapter 7, okay? Luke 7, flip in your Bibles, Luke chapter 7. Such a great passage of scripture here we're going to look at. Dig into as we kind of wrap this second half of this message out. Here's what it said. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So just think about that. One of these Pharisees that Jesus is always going up to battle with because they were religious leaders and they had no depth. They were about religion. A lot of that going on in our world today. And so one of these Pharisees, he invited Jesus for dinner, and Jesus comes over, and they're reclining at the table. So this is another adventure with Jesus. He is going to go somewhere that he probably shouldn't go, but he's going anyway because that's where Jesus goes. And, and he's among the people. That's what he did. He lived among the people. He wasn't hiding out in a church building or some other place. He was among the people. He made it his purpose, his intention to live among the, the people. And here we find Jesus in a very unlikely place, the home of a person that he confronted the most, not necessarily Simon himself, but the Pharisees on a whole. And here another shift has to be made. Another shift has to be made in your mind and my mind. Because all our lives, you know, if you grew up in a Christian home, all your life you were told these things. Stay out of the bars. Don't go to parties where there's alcohol. Stay away from your pothead classmates. And definitely do not, you do not go in strip clubs. You stay out of these places. The saying was, we don't drink, smoke, and chew or go with girls who do. That, that was the same, right? For many, many years. And then what happened was, we started hanging around Jesus. Started hanging around Jesus. And he's, and Jesus is a bad influence on us, right? He's a bad influence on us. And, and here's what we learn about Jesus. Here's what we learn about Jesus. He spent his whole life, he spent his whole life engaging the people that most of us have spent our whole lives trying to avoid, right? The ones that our parents told us, don't go around those people. Don't hang out with those people. These are the very people that Jesus spends his time hanging around with. But it wasn't about indulgence for Jesus. It wasn't about participation with them in their sin and in their stuff. It's not what it was about with Jesus. With Jesus, it was about a mission. It was about a purpose. It was about bringing light into the darkness. And that's the only reason 
that you should ever be in these places. It's the only reason that you should ever go to these places. And so we find Jesus at this Pharisee's home. This is a guy, the Pharisee. He's a guy who has the Old Testament scriptures. He's got them memorized. He knows the text forward. He knows the Old Testament backwards. He knows the law. He knows the prophets. He knows it all. What he has been blinded of, though, is the fact that he needs God more than any criminal, any uh, thief, or any sinner. He just doesn't know that. He just doesn't realize that his ego and his pride has gotten so big that he has been blinded. The God of this age has pulled the wool over his eyes and he thinks he's fine with God. Verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's home. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, and then she kissed them, and then she poured perfume on them. And so I ask myself why. Why, 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 why would she do this? Why would she subject herself and take such a humongous risk? She's a sinful woman. She knows it. Everyone knows it. She has learned some stuff. She has learned a little bit about Jesus. Obviously, she must have heard about him or heard him teaching at times, maybe saw him do some miracles, and now he's here. And so she learns that he is staying here. He's coming to this Pharisee's house, this religious guy's home. And so she is intrigued by this. And so out of all the places on the earth that she could go, this religious Pharisee's home, home is not one of them. This is the last place that she would want to, to go ever in her life. She's about to walk into humiliation. She's the known prostitute of the town. She's from the red light district. She's the one that Scarlet Hope goes after to share the gospel with, to rescue out of darkness. And I don't know, maybe at one time she kind of liked her lifestyle. Maybe at the beginning it seemed good. She, she could make money. She could pay her bills. She could feed her children. And it probably was an easy way to make some money. And it's true about the women that Scarlet Hope reaches out to as well. This ministry that Rochelle does in Louisville, Kentucky, and now all around the country. No college degree this woman has. Several kids to care for, these women that Scholar Hope reaches out to. It's easy money, enough to pay the bills. You just got to be willing to do a few things. You got to be willing to sell your body. You have to be numb to your senses. You have to be willing to deny all self-respect and ignore any personal pride. And you must push your mostly naked self, out onto that dance floor and perform. It doesn't cost much. It just costs you everything. 
And you can imagine, it doesn't take long, but little by little, your soul, like a dimmer switch, begins to go dark. The sin, the degrading, the abuse, the denying of your very being. And you wake up one day lost, confused, and trapped. And not just her, not just this woman, but any addict, any addict, anyone trapped in a sinful relationship, the numbing of the conscience, the numbing of your very soul. But something's different now. Something is different today. There is this flicker of light. The Spirit of God is moving in her and now around her, and she is ready for a change. She's so ready for a change. She is in the battle of her life. She is in the battle for her soul. And maybe you are too. Maybe you are and you just don't realize it. Maybe you're her at the very bottom, but maybe you're the Pharisee below the bottom, but too proud to realize it or even admit it. And there's no doubt the devil is accusing her and he's kicking her and he is beating her down spiritually. But light has come and God has showed up and now the opportunity for mercy and grace and forgiveness and healing is there. Jesus has come to her town, and it is no coincidence that these two opposite ends of the sin spectrum end up in the same living room with Jesus. She fights through all the fear and the doubt. She fights through all her past mess. She fights through all her public reputation. She's got to be thinking in her own mind, this is my one chance for change, to be free, to find healing. I just have to get to Jesus, and I am ready to go through hell to get to him. And she's ready for this. She knows she needs this. This may be her last ditch effort. And here comes... Here comes faith. Here comes faith, right? Like the, the, like the one leopard, the switch is about to be flipped on of faith. And she comes probably quietly slipping through the crowd, slipping into the house, hoping that nobody notices her. But she's ready. She's ready. She's ready for the ridicule. She is prepped for the accusation, not even really knowing what Jesus might say to her or what Jesus might do when he discovers her. And so she stood there behind Jesus at his feet, and they're reclining at the table. You know, New Testament style, probably very low down to the ground, maybe on the ground. The food's out before them, so their body, their torso is facing the table, but their legs are uh, facing away from the table, pointing the opposite direction. And she comes and she stands at Jesus' feet. And there's a lot of people at the party. They're reclining at the table. And she's got this jar of perfume in her hands. And she's weeping. She's at Jesus' feet. She's made it there. And she's weeping. And now she notices that his feet are dirty 
They didn't get washed when they came into the room like you're supposed to do. And so her tears begin to fall and she begins to use her tears to land on Jesus's feet. And she begins to wash his feet. She takes her hair and she starts rubbing his feet with her hair. This is crazy. And she washes his feet and then she begins to kiss his feet. She kisses Jesus's feet. And then she opens up her jar of perfume and she pours it on his feet and she rubs that in as she anoints the feet of Jesus. And the smell, the smell now is good. And the smell now is permeating the room and everyone now notices. What a beautiful picture of desperation and worship. The kind that, that I should have the kind that we should have, this desperate worship of Jesus because I am a sinner in need of him. Nothing else matters to this woman. She is at the feet of Jesus. She has arrived to where she was going. It happened and now she's there and she's just going to hold on to his feet. And I'm totally sure without a doubt, that if she had the lyrics to Amazing Grace or Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, she would have busted out in song. When the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, Simon, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, Jesus, he would know who it is that is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she, can you hear it, is a sinner. If he knew. And here comes the ridicule. Judgment, judgment. Not just on the woman, but now also on Jesus. Jesus. It's what we call the Muhammad Ali mentality, right? We us Pharisees, we are the greatest in the world, right? It's all about us. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, I love this. He says, Simon, can you just see it? Everything stops. Everyone's quiet. Simon says what he said. Now Jesus is going to talk and they're all going to listen. And Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, and the other only owed 50 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both of these men. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Right on, Simon. You got that right. You, you, it's the only thing you've gotten right tonight, but you got that right. It's true that the one who understands the depth of their sin will appreciate the extent of his love far more. In verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, he turned toward the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
Yes, I see her. I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my, my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Simon, your faith. Simon, your religion is on full display, Simon, and it is empty. It is useless. In fact, you are so blinded by yourself that God is in the living room of your home and you don't even realize it. That's how full of yourself you are. But what you call this sinful woman, she has realized who I am. And again, the least likely appreciates the most. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon, that's you. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And still, still, they are locked onto their religious instructions. But Jesus is now locked onto her. And the woman caught up in the sin now has realized her desperate need for Jesus. She has pushed, pushed, she has pushed through all of the fear. She has pushed through all of the humiliation and what others might think and her past reputation and her personal limits and her own understanding. And the spirit of the living God has led her to the feet of Jesus. And in the midst of all the judgment and in the midst of all the self-absorption, in the midst of the religious piety, she doesn't care. She's fed up with herself, with them, with her own lifestyle. And now she's clinging to Jesus literally, emotionally, and spiritually. And with all the faith that she can muster up, she is holding on to Jesus. This is faith. All her chips are in. Everything about her is in. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your connection to the one who is eternal life. Your decision, your choice, your will turned over to Jesus has saved you. Go in peace. This is personal. This is so very, very personal. There's, there's, there's a room full of people, but it's just her and Jesus right now. He's given her his undivided attention, and she has given him her complete allegiance. And just like here and now, it's you and Jesus, right? That's really who it is. It isn't about all of us who are listening right now. It's, it's about you and Jesus. 
It's about what are you going to do with Jesus. It's about your faith in Jesus. It's about your commitment to Jesus. It's about you willing to go all in with Jesus. Nobody else can do this for you. You, you have to decide. You can't look at your wife. You, don't, you can't look at your husband. You can't look at other people. You can't look at your parents. It's you and Jesus. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to have this kind of faith? Are you going to have this kind of faith? It's personal. It's very personal. Only you can do it. But it also demands 100% of you. 100%. All in desperate abandonment of self. Nothing less will do for God. Her faith is on full display for all to see. And her faith is on full display for God to see. And her freedom came. And her healing came. And her salvation came. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, like this post that I saw this week. I thought it was really good and appropriate. It says, my story, this is her, she could have said this. My story is filled with bad choices, broken pieces, and a lot of hurt. It's also filled with a major comeback. Freedom in my life, peace in my soul, and a Savior that restored everything. That's what this lady can say. Right? What about you? She's clinging to Jesus with everything in her. What about you? Are you clinging to Jesus? Have you surrendered completely to him? Have you gone all in with the Savior? Let me encourage you, just cry out to Jesus and do whatever it is he's calling you to do. Whatever the scripture is saying you should do next, just do it. Go all in with him. Your faith, your faith. Your connection, your will, your choice has entered into the grace, the free gift of grace. And this union has brought salvation to your soul. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. And we're going to see you next time, okay?